Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice with the Supreme Court's new term. On October 4th of 2021, the Supreme Court began hearing new cases for this term. The Supreme Court term always begins the first Monday in October and runs through the end of June. So what's on the docket for the court this year? Well, I had a chance to discuss that very thing on our public radio station here in Pittsburgh, WESA, on the show The Confluence with Kevin Gavin. I am the show's legal analyst and the station's legal analyst. So here is my discussion with Kevin, and we covered the biggies, and there are some real big cases coming this term. A consequential abortion case, which could actually be the end of Roe versus Wade, a gun rights case for the first time in some years, and more. So here it is, October 4th of 2021, my interview by Kevin Gavin on WESAFM in Pittsburgh. The United States Supreme Court session begins today with a docket full of cases that touch on some pressure points in our society. Abortion, firearms, affirmative action. Here to tell us more about the cases that are up for discussion and the implications for the court's decisions is WESA's legal analyst and University of Pittsburgh law professor David Harris. David, welcome back to the program. Kevin, good to be with you. Let's start with a decision that has been at the top of the news cycle, abortion. Texas has enacted one of the most restrictive abortion access laws in the country, and there was an uproar when the Supreme Court did not block it. What kind of petition can entities make to a court while it's not in session? Well, when the court is not in session, uh, entities can go to the court and ask them to either hold the uh, effect of the law in abeyance or to let it go into effect. And that is effectively what happened with the Texas case, which allowed the statute to start operating in Texas and to effectively prohibit most abortions in that state while the court decides whether to take the case or not. And a unique factor about the Texas law, it calls on citizens to basically enforce the law. Absolutely. I mean, the Texas law is trailblazing and unique in a number of ways, and I don't mean that to be positive or negative. Number one, it backs up the the, uh, the due date for an abortion to when the fetal heartbeat can be detected. Maybe just as significantly, it takes enforcement out of the hands of public officials and gives it to any citizen who would like to sue and gives the citizen the incentive of a $10,000 damage award if the case is carried through to success. What this does is, number one, it makes everybody in Texas and even outside of Texas into a kind of legal vigilante. Number two, it, it insulates the statute against challenge because in order to stop a statute from going into effect in the past, Parties, Planned Parenthood, whoever it is, a clinic, would have to sue the state officials in charge of enforcing the law. Now there's nobody to sue in the traditional sense. This is a very dangerous way to go, and other states could do it with other things, like gun control, who knows what. So I expect the court is going to want to act on that aspect of the law, if not the fetal heartbeat aspect, too. The court will hear a case from Mississippi. What does that law do? 
The Mississippi case is a more conventional type of challenge to Roe v. Wade and its follow-up 1992 case, which was called Planned Parenthood versus Casey. What those cases do is they establish the right to abortion as, an, as a constitutional right, uh, and states can regulate it as long as there is no undue burden on the woman's right to reproductive freedom. The Mississippi law backs that date up to 15 weeks, much earlier than the court has ever allowed a state law to go. So in other words, after 15 weeks gestation, no abortions would be possible. So it's a direct challenge to the Roe v. Wade viability rule, which generally means one trimester, which is more than 15 weeks. And it is also calling on the court to overturn Roe versus Wade completely. So if the court's membership has changed enough that there are five justices to do that, this could be the end of Roe versus Wade. And many state legislatures are eyeing the considerations of both the Texas law, if that ever comes before the Supreme Court, and of course the Mississippi law. There is a string of efforts uh, to put copycat laws in place. We shouldn't be surprised at that. Uh, one of the reasons that the justices uh, that who were appointed during the Trump administration were appointed was their opposition to Roe versus Wade and states that want, have wanted to get rid of the right to an abortion for some time are looking at this as their opportunity. And they're saying to themselves, look, if Texas and Mississippi have something here, let's go that way. Let's move on to a Second Amendment case a challenge to a New York law restricting concealed and open carry of firearms. The case uh, will be challenged in this ruling is U.S. Uh, versus Heller. That goes back to 2008, and that broadened the interpretation, opened the door to individual rights to carry firearms. But the ruling did have some limits on things like concealed carry. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, Kevin. There have been two Supreme Court cases that effectively opened up the Second Amendment saying that the Second Amendment protected civilian rights to bear arms, but they were limited to protections for civilians to, to uh, carry weapons and have weapons in their homes. What this case does, the New York case that is now in front of the Supreme Court, is it challenges a New York law that effectively limited civilian rights to carrying outside the home by saying a special permit was needed uh, with cause. And what this is, is an opportunity, as Second Amendment advocates see it, to expand the Heller case, to expand the Second Amendment right for civilians to carry arms into something much less regulated. I think it's likely that the court will uh, see it their way and will say that the New York law is unduly burdensome on Second Amendment rights, even though in the cases in which the Second Amendment was open to civilians, Justice Scalia said in his opinion, there is no doubt that certain kinds of gun regulation are constitutional. David, this session, the court will also re-examine affirmative action that allows colleges and universities to consider race and ethnicity in admissions. Uh, in a case against Harvard, plaintiffs want the court to stop affirmative action. Do we know what positions the newest justices have on affirmative action. The court is now considering to hear the case involving Harvard. It's a little bit complex because Harvard, of course, is a private college 
and the justices may prefer to have a case that applies to public institutions, like the last two affirmative action cases about the University of Texas and the University of Michigan. But if they decide to go ahead and hear this case, uh, it's going to present a very significant challenge, uh, in my estimation, to the use of race in any way uh, in college admissions. The court in those previous two cases involving Michigan and Texas placed a value on giving colleges the ability to use race as a way to guarantee diversity in student bodies. Uh, the court said that there was value in that. You've now had a very significant turnover in the justices that were on those cases. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they took Justice Roberts' lead, uh, where he said in another case, Basically, the way to stop discriminating on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race and to eliminate the ability of colleges to do this. And finally, David, do you think we'll see a new justice appointed during Joe Biden's term? Justice Stephen Breyer is being urged by some liberals to step down. He's 82. What has he said on the matter? I think what's behind this is folks who are on the left uh, have seen very clearly what has happened during the last several years with uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate uh, effectively stealing the seat that was uh, due to go to uh, Merrick Garland uh, during the last year of the Obama administration, seeing how uh, a justice was put in place, Amy Coney Barrett, with just a month before the last election in direct contradiction to what McConnell had said with the Garland nomination. Everybody is on Justice Breyer to retire now. And his reply has been, yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. But you're not the boss of me. David Harris is WESA's legal analyst, University of Pittsburgh law professor, and he is the host of the Criminal Injustice podcast. David, thanks as always. Kevin, I always enjoy being with you. Yes, that's it. Our Supreme Court term. Those are some big cases, and Justice Breyer says, you're not the boss of me. There are a couple of other cases I wanted to just talk to you about that we did not have time to get to on the show. First off, there's a very interesting civil rights case that touches on criminal law, kind of our bailiwick here. The court ruled back in 1994 that a person who was convicted of a crime cannot bring a civil suit later for malicious prosecution unless that conviction had been overturned, a sort of finding of innocence. So what would be the case if you had somebody who was arrested, but the prosecutor dropped the charges. In other words, eventually dropped the charges and the person wasn't prosecuted at all. Could that person sue for malicious prosecution? Well, that's the issue in Thompson versus Clark. That'll be argued early in the term in October. Uh, in that case, uh, plaintiff Thompson and his wife had a week old baby and their sister-in-law who was staying with them noticed something about the baby, called 911 because she thought the baby was being sexually abused because of red marks on the baby's rear end. Uh, the EMTs came. They were not able to make any determination because they thought they were at the wrong address. They came back later with police officers, and Thompson said that the officers could not enter his home without a warrant. Officers pushed their way in anyway, shoving Mr. Thompson on the floor, uh, and he was arrested and charged, of course, with resisting arrest and obstructing 
governmental administration. The baby was taken to a hospital where it was examined and found to have diaper rash. Yes, a case about diaper rash is all the way at the Supreme Court. Now, when the prosecutor got the case, the prosecutor put charges in, but later dismissed the charges, quote, in the interest of justice. That was certainly the right thing to do. But Thompson, the plaintiff, was not satisfied. He sued for malicious prosecution. But the federal courts Uh, both at the trial level and the appellate level, that would be the Second Circuit Court of Appeals for New York, uh, ruled against him, saying that he could not bring suit uh, because there had been no showing that he was actually innocent. His case had only been dropped, and that's not a showing of innocence. Now, as many of you probably know, there is no legal mechanism uh, for a court to find that somebody is innocent when charges have been dropped. They're simply dropped. And does that mean then, I guess, that prosecutors could always just avoid liability for a bad decision they made in bringing charges in the first place by just dropping those charges. That's really the issue that's at stake in that case, and the Supreme Court will hear arguments in October. Also in the criminal law world is United States versus Tsarnaev. Now, if you think you've heard that name before, it's very distinctive, of course, but you'd be right. The two Tsarnaev brothers were the men who planted bombs at the Boston Marathon some years ago, uh, killing three people and injuring hundreds of other people. One brother was killed by the police, uh, actually even run over by the other brother, Um, But the surviving brother was tried for murder and sentenced to death. Now, the issue here is the selection of the jury. When the surviving brother was on trial, um, the lawyers asked for a change in venue because publicity around the Boston Marathon bombing had been so intense and so negative. Uh, You remember the whole city or large parts of it were on lockdown. Uh, during the time that they were trying to capture these people, they asked for a change of venue, which would have moved the trial out of Boston where publicity had been most intense. The judge refused that request and instead said that he would take special care during jury selection to select an unbiased jury. The defense had wanted the judge to ask prospective jurors about what they had seen and heard and knew about the case. Those are kind of standard questions. But the judge refused to do that, too. Instead, the judge asked prospective jurors whether they had formed an opinion and whether they could be unbiased. The voir dire, the selection of the jury through that process, took three weeks, not all that unusual in a very high-profile case, during which the defense moved four different times for a change of venue. Each time, the judge said no. Uh, Tsarnaev was convicted and then sentenced to death. But the Court of Appeals in the case, the First Circuit Court of Appeals, Uh, in the federal court system, reversed the death sentence on the grounds that the judge had not done enough to ensure that Tsarnaev got an unbiased jury. The Court of Appeals also reversed based on the failure by the judge to allow the jury to hear evidence 
in the penalty phase of the trial as to a murder that the dead brother had committed previously. Now, what's the relevance of that? The defense would have argued in a much stronger way that the surviving brother, who was younger, was under the thumb and influence and terrified of his older brother. And the fact that the older brother had killed somebody before would have added to that fear, and his freedom of action would have been thus limited. So both of those issues are before the Supreme Court and the Tsarnaev case coming out of the Boston Marathon bombing. There will be much more ahead. The Supreme Court adds more cases to its calendar until about January, so they have about half filled it at this point. Uh, But one thing is sure, with the big high-profile cases they already have, this is very, very likely to be a blockbuster term in every sense of the word. That's it. Here on Criminal Injustice, we keep you up to date about all the issues out there in the criminal legal system and more. Anytime you want that information, you can always go to our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. You'll hear it all there. And you can hear all of our interviews with some of the most impactful people working in the criminal justice legal space today. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time.